0: Welcome to Modern Food Thinking. This is your host, Chef Gerald Pica, along with co-host Rachel Lucas, owner of Feeling Strong. This show is brought to you by Spazio Rosso Interior Design, and here we present to you our unique perspectives on food as it relates to health and wellness. In this episode titled Protein Foods, Meat, Meat Plants, let us show you the way. We explore why protein is important to our overall health and how does it benefit us, Also, what are some of the great sources for achieving protein consumption? To our listening audience, I remind you that we are not offering medical advice, nor are we advocating a particular manner of medical treatment. Always consult with your doctor before making any changes to your health care, and understand the science behind your treatments. We are just two professionals having a nice little chat about food, health, nutrition, and proteins. Rachel, I believe protein foods are one of your favorite special areas of research and knowledge, and as a personal trainer, I know you have your favorites. Would you like to open our discussion?
1: Thanks, Jerome. I do love to talk about protein. I believe it's the most important macronutrient to focus on when you're ready to dial into your food health and overall health, and here are some reasons why. Protein reduces overall hunger and increases the feeling of satiation, which means we feel full. Protein acts on our hunger hormone. This hormone is called ghrelin, and it lowers those levels. There have been numerous studies showing that with increased protein intake and no other dietary restrictions, people were able to lose weight. Protein also increases the potential for muscle mass and strength gains. Our muscles are made from protein, so if you are active and working out, enough protein in your diet will help you make progress there. Uh, Protein is good for your bones. There was some controversial research floating around that animal protein sources were actually detrimental to bone health, causing the acidity levels in our bodies to rise and leach out calcium from our bones. Now, that theory has been completely disproven in recent years, and there have been studies done all over the world that have proved higher protein diets inclusive of animal proteins actually improve bone density and bone health. High protein intake may positively impact bone health by several mechanisms, including improved calcium absorption, stimulation of the secretion of uh, insulin like growth factor one, and enhancement of lean body mass. Protein sort of boosts our metabolism. Now, stay with me. I usually like to stay away from those trendy terms like boosting of metabolism. But when we eat protein, our bodies have to work extra hard to digest it. This is known as the thermal effect of food. Our bodies work hard to break down the protein we eat. And that hard work basically has a lingering effect that allows us to continue burning up excess energy. And I'm talking about you, body fat, uh, for a while after we eat. And lastly, protein helps us repair and rebuild. I mentioned already that our muscles are built from protein. Well, so are a lot of our ligaments and joints and most of our bodily structures. So diets higher in protein will allow the body to have what it needs to fix and repair itself.
0: Uh, All right. Thanks, Rachel. This gets us off to a great start. So when it comes to protein, most people immediately think of animal sources. But I do like to point out that all plants contain proteins. So what exactly is a protein? Well, a protein is a compound, specifically a molecule, that your body requires for proper functioning, and they're made up of all 20 amino acids our bodies need. A healthy individual uh, requires at least 10,000 different proteins to function properly, and ideally, protein should be consumed from a wide variety of sources in order to capture what is known as the full protein package which includes things such as fiber, vitamins, minerals, and dietary fats. So this is important because a mounting body of research indicates that obtaining protein from a wide variety of sources, including plants, is more important than the volume of protein you ingest. Studies published in the Harvard School of Public Health, the Journal of the American Medical Association, New England Journal of Medicine, and the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition all support this idea. So all proteins are assembled using the chemical properties found in our genes. Both DNA and messenger RNA create proteins, and there are many different types of proteins in our bodies, all of which perform specific functions. So some of these, as I've mentioned, are messenger proteins carrying signals between cells and organs. Some are protective proteins and are the antibodies we use to fight off disease, such as the coronavirus. Other proteins become enzymes, which we talked about in more than one previous episode, and then there are the transport proteins that move atoms and molecules between cells and tissues. Most people think protein is only a building block for muscle mass, or is used only to provide energy for the body. Though this is true, this is only one type of the several proteins I just described.
1: That is so true, Jerome. It is easy to think protein is just for muscle growth, just like it's easy to think that dietary fat makes us fat. But the need for protein is far-reaching in our bodies. Sources of protein have been extremely controversial over the last several years, and I know that, Jerome, you and I have slightly different views here. I am a big advocate for animal-based protein sources. I do want to take a quick moment to discuss the impacts of animal consumption. Diana Rogers and Rob Wolf co-authored a really amazing book on this topic called The Sacred Cow, A Case for Better Meat. They dive into the science and a little bit of the ethics of factory or conventional raising of cows and other animals for consumption versus raising these animals ethically and humanely for consumption. My biggest takeaway from this book was that the problem is not Animal consumption, but this country's tendency for overconsumption and overproduction. We are mass producing animals in horrible, unethical ways, and that is also what is so destructive to our planet. There is a beautiful and natural process of crop rotations with raising animals. Uh, Once a field is harvested, cows can come through and graze as well as excrete on the land. Then chickens come through and peck for the seeds, irrigating the ground with the cow's manure. And I'll stop there because this is not my area of expertise. But I do urge people to really do their research about meat and farming and the repercussions of all of that before they vilify the process of eating animals.
0: Rachel, I definitely agree with you on the tendency to overconsume, and you're 100% right on the methodology of farming techniques and the impact it has on our bodies. So this is a key component of the good protein versus bad protein debate. I'll give you a personal example. Uh, I was recently visiting some folks out of town, and they are heavy meat eaters, uh, it shows, But more importantly for their poor health is the unknown source of the beef, pork, and chicken that they so fancifully share and where it comes from. I had a terrific discussion with one of my friends about animal husbandry and crop rotation, and he asked for a book recommendation that would help him understand what I was talking about. So I recommended Michael Pollan's The Omnivore's Dilemma, which you had brought up in our previous uh, episode on sugar. Uh, It was a great recommendation then and a great one now. I actually do eat meat myself, uh, mostly poultry and seafood, though I do on occasion eat red meat. And like I said, uh, I did eat bread meat on my trip uh, out of out of uh, town. Um, I actually had a steak while I was out on this uh, trip. And I have to say it was not nearly quite as satisfying as the spaghetti squash and the maple roasted Brussels sprouts that I prepared. So in that regard, I agree that we do have a slightly different approach to sourcing protein in our eating habits. And I have to say that I did watch a documentary called Game Changers on Netflix, and that had a big impact on my thinking about sourcing proteins. But I always come back to understand how your food is grown. This includes animal as well as plant-sourced proteins, and you will understand your health.
1: Absolutely. I love that last line you just said, when deciding on how you as a consumer want to eat, I think it is vital to do research and really pay attention to how you are feeling. If you learn to listen, your body will tell you what foods are best for you. Now, when I make protein suggestions, like I said, I tend to lean on animal sources, beef, poultry, seafood, and eggs. One of the reasons I like to recommend these and why I eat them myself are that they are considered complete proteins. What makes these complete is that they contain all of the essential amino acids, meaning the class of amino acids that our bodies cannot make and must consume from our diet. Uh, To my understanding, it takes a little bit more pairing to make plant sources complete proteins, things like rice and beans or whole grains and peanut butter. I'd love to hear your take on this, Jerome.
0: Oh, yes, indeed, Rachel. Uh, I do have some thoughts on this before we get to a listener question. The first thing to think about is that an eating regimen that is heavy on meat source protein and low in vegetable intake has in fact, shown some correlation to an increased risk of uh, colorectal cancer and heart disease, particularly high-fat meats and or animals raised in less than ideal conditions, as you pointed out. And it's always best to go for lean meats grown using humane conditions when you include them in your diet. Plant pairing with animal meat sources is ideal because it introduces fiber, phytonutrients, micronutrients, and it also provides a mitigating factor to uh, potential carcinogens in animal meats raised under uh, really poor conditions. Uh, I'll tell you, a great read on this is Colin Campbell's book, The China Study. I don't want to forget about whey and the role whey plays in protein ingestion. It is part of the title for this episode, and we have previously talked about this uh, in our episode on protein powders. So Rachel, I'll turn it over to you for this.
1: So yes, we have done an entire episode on protein powders, but I feel this conversation wouldn't be complete without a quick note on our thoughts around protein powders. Now they can be convenient, but there are a lot of potential downsides. Protein powder is a dietary supplement unregulated by the FDA. The FDA leaves it up to manufacturers to evaluate the safety and labeling of these products, and there is no way to know if a protein powder contains what the manufacturers claim. We don't know the long-term effects of high protein intake from these supplemental powders. Um, Oftentimes, protein powders cause digestive distress, Protein powders can be high in added sugar and calories. Some protein powders have little added sugar, and others have a lot up to um, around 23 grams per scoop, which is, I think, more sugar than you should even have in a whole day. And uh, you know, some protein powders like that end up turning a glass of milk into a drink with more than 1,200 calories in it. And the risk of that is weight gain and an unhealthy spike in our blood sugar. And a new risk around protein supplements was uncovered by a nonprofit group called the Clean Label Project. And Jerome, you spoke to this in our episode about protein powders, but it's all about toxins, potential toxins in protein powders. Um, these researchers screened 134 products for 130 different types of toxins and found that many protein powders contain heavy metals like lead, arsenic. Candemum and mercury. They also contain BPA, which is used to make plastic, pesticides, and other contaminants with links to cancer and other health conditions. Um, Some of these toxins were present in significant quantities. For example, one protein powder they looked into contained 25 times the allowed limit of BPA. But because our protein powders are unregulated by the FDA, these companies don't have to put that on their label. So we discussed early in our conversation how important it is to know the sourcing of your animal products. It's just as important to understand your protein supplements if you choose to use them.
0: Yeah, good, good point, uh, Rachel, on that uh, bisphenol A. Uh, it, it, it's awful, and people, you need to be careful about that. So to our listeners, I would remind you to listen to our podcast on protein powders and heed the advice and research uh, that Rachel is advocating. So we do have a, a listener question here, and this is from Sarah in London. She's asking if her husband is doing the right thing by making a blended juice from chia seeds, kale, spinach, and coconut milk. And to our listeners, let me just point out that in England, this juice product is exactly what we might recognize as a smoothie in this country. Same thing, different name. Tomato, tomato. Tomato. So, Sarah, thank you for this. I actually took this question two days ago over over a a video call uh, because of the time difference, and Sarah was concerned about her husband's protein intake and whether he's getting enough. Sarah, I did provide your husband with some guidance on how best to incorporate chia seeds because he absolutely should not be simply blending them in as is. They need to be bloomed first, but more importantly, is take the information Rachel has already provided and have him apply this to his diet. You would explain to me that he's not a vegetarian, but simply wants to eat healthier. I think this is admirable, but to Rachel's point, he absolutely can in- include humanely raised lean meats, seafoods, and most certainly a variety of legumes, leafy greens, pulses, fruits, and grains.
1: Now, I did not know that about chia seeds. They don't play a huge part in my diet, but I did not know they had to be bloomed and they could not be blended. So I think everyone should make a note of that. I'm sure I'm not the only one who didn't know that. So before we wrap up here, I would just like to add a little note on smoothies in general. Although just like protein powders, they are tempting to add to our diets because they are convenient, there are two potential downfalls I like to point out. The first is that by blending up your food, you are doing some of the digesting already, meaning your body can absorb more of the calories that are in that smoothie. The second is along the same lines, but it can be easy to add more to a smoothie than you would ever eat in a single sitting. Something like a cup of yogurt, a banana, strawberries, apple juice, seeds, powders of some sort, et cetera. And Often when we think about sitting down and eating this in its whole form, it sounds like way too much food, but all of a sudden you can blend it together and consume it within minutes. And even though all of those foods are quote unquote healthy, they can still cause a huge hit to our blood
0: sugar levels. Excellent point, Rachel. And on that note, we actually have to wrap up today's show So, listeners, we hope you have learned a thing or two about proteins, and I will reiterate that it is important to listen to the advice of your medical professional. Thank you for listening to this episode of Modern Food Thinking with Jerome Picka and Rachel Lucas, owner of Feeling Strong, and edited by Jeremy Nessel. Our next episode will air in two weeks. Please join us then. You can listen to this podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Alexa, through the free app for iOS and Android, or wherever you get your podcasts. To sign up for Rachel's private coaching sessions, visit her website at fueling-strong.com. To sign up for private group or general cooking classes with me, visit chef-jerome.com. This is Jerome Pica. And this is Rachel Lucas. From both of us, we hope you stay well, eat well, and be well.